God, you are beautiful, and you are wonderful, and you are glorious. I pray today that you would open our eyes, soften our minds, and soften our hearts to prepare us to be overwhelmed by your message today, by your word. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. You all can have a seat. So my parents, uh, if you don't know, I'm Brian. My dad's a pastor. His name's Dennis. Uh, And my parents have gotten into this really nasty habit in 2018. It's nothing like that he can be fired for, uh, unless he keeps doing this. But he, my, my parents have decided that instead of just sticking with the snow that comes to us, they go and find more. So like when we got our first bad snow there over New Year's, my parents went to Green Lake, Wisconsin, where there was like six more inches of snow than there was here. So this past week, they decided there wasn't enough snow here, and they ventured off uh, to, to Michigan for whatever reason that might be. Uh, so this morning, in, in, his, in my dad's stead, uh, we have John Beaker, who's going to be presenting the message. Because, and we chose John because we all know that uh, we don't want the youth pastor speaking this morning. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Dig the knife in right away. Anyway, uh, before we get to John's message, uh, we are going to spend some time in communion. And in case you haven't been here before, we do communion a little differently. We invite you to come receive it. So there are four spots, two in the back, two in the front, where you can come um, take the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat and take it as, uh, as you wish. What we've been doing as a communion series since the start of the year is looking at an essential question and looking at it for two weeks so that we have time to, to ask and, to, to again, to pray about that question throughout the week and then to come back and revisit it. It's always important to revisit um, the things that we've been going through. So last week's question was, do I insist on doing something about which my, conscious, my conscience is uneasy? And we talked about last week how a lot of us feel guilty about the things that we do in our own homes. For example, my mom, if you know her, keeps a meticulously clean house. Rule number one in the PAP household is you take those shoes off before you step inside the door. My parents aren't even home, and when I go to their house to take a nap this afternoon first, like, I might take them off before I get out of the garage, all right? Like, it's, it's bad. Like, I, every time I wear my shoes in their house, I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. In my, in my um, in-law's family, my mother-in-law, every time she hears something that uh, is inappropriate or she doesn't like, it might, it might not even be a bad thing, it's just something that she doesn't like to hear, she'll run up to you and, cancel, cancel, cancel! You've got to say, cancel, 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 to rid yourself of that guilt! It's so funny. It's really funny. Like, that works. Please, Aaron, if you're listening, uh, don't beat me. Cancel, cancel, cancel. Uh, we, we, make these man-made, <laughs> we make these man-made guardrails for ourselves, right? When you look at a bridge, we, we have a guardrail there for safety so that people don't go veering off the, the side of the bridge into the abyss, right? Then we put a line on the, like we, we might make a second barrier or a line that keeps us from even getting to that edge. And instead of thinking about the, the man-made rules that we constantly are, feel guilty over, we're encouraging you today to, to spend time thinking about the way that the Holy Spirit is nudging you. Not your mom, not your dad, the way the Holy Spirit is nudging you. Because again, we set up guardrails uh, to keep us away from sin, right? So again, one of the examples we used last week was, was about TV. Yeah, we shouldn't be watching raunchy stuff on TV. So we set up the guardrail saying... We're going to watch TV, but, but none of the bad stuff. Then we set up a second guardrail or another line farther away from the guardrail saying, now not only is the sin watching the bad stuff, 
there's just no good stuff on TV, so we're getting rid of the TV. Now it's a sin to have the TV. It's not the case. It's not the case. We want to, again, focus on which, which way is the Holy Spirit trying to push you away from the sins in your life. For me, uh, I, like, I know that uh, we can be calloused to some of these things. It's called a seared conscience. And I, I, run, I play two sports in which calluses are like a, a point of pride. Baseball, you take thousands of swings. And we used to always like, have uh, blister battles. So we'd see who could get the biggest blister. And yes, it was horribly painful. It was not good and not healthy. But we'd have guys like with you know, blisters, because they've been picking at them, that go like half their hand. And now, I mean, my hands are permanently callous from that. Same thing with running. Uh, we'd, we'd pick at our calluses, or our, our blisters, you know, when you get them from running you know, 100 miles a week. And now my feet, unless I went to get a pedicure, I mean, they're permanently calloused. Like, they are just ruined forever. That's kind of what we do when we toe the line with sin. When we say, you know, I know that the, this guardrail is here for other people, but I can handle it. I can handle it. And we end up crossing over that barrier that God gives us in the Bible. The, all, those, all those guardrails saying, don't cross that line of sin. And when we do, we, and we continually go past that line, we become calloused. And it might even get to a point where we're so proud of it that we show it off. Look, look at how I've battled this. Like, I, I'm, I'm calloused. This, this does, it, might, it might be a problem for you, but I can handle watching all the nasty stuff on TV because I'm a Christian. I, 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 know, I know the line, so I can, I can watch it and know what's going on. Throw away all those uh, preconceived notions today. Think about, again, that thing. What's, what's the area in your life where the Holy Spirit's been trying to wake you up to that guardrail, to bring you back and say, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm not doing this to, to cause conflict in your life. I'm trying to save you. So again, we're going to spend a minute in silence just reflecting on that question. Again, do you, what, what's the thing that you insist on doing that your conscience, that the Holy Spirit is trying to say no to? Uh, spend a minute in, in silence reflecting on that, and then when uh, the video begins playing, we can move to receive communion. Well, this morning, as we get into our message, we're going to be wrapping up this series on discernment, where we've been focused for the last number of weeks. I've been talking about discernment, how God wants to grow us in discernment, to teach us how to be people of discernment. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Dale Hansen and Dennis went to a men's conference that was offered locally. It was in the area called No Regrets. No Regrets. And the name of the conference was inspired by the story of a young man from the early 1900s whose name was William Borden. Uh, his story will kind of lead us into uh, our message this morning. So take a few minutes and, and watch with me his story. When William Borden the heir to the multi-million dollar Borden Dairy Estate, 
graduated from high school, his gift was a trip around the world. Now, while your average 18-year-old is going to be living it up and enjoying the time of their life, Borden experienced a growing concern for the lost of the Middle East and Asia. He wrote home, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. In the back of his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. Enrolling at Yale University, Borden promptly began a student ministry. By the end of his freshman year, he had 150 freshmen meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By his senior year, 1,000 out of Yale's 1,300 students were involved in this ministry. In a personal journal entry, he defined the source of his spiritual strength by saying, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Beyond campus, Borden was often seen ministering to the downtrodden in New Haven. He loved the widows and the orphans and the disabled. To help men who were caught in the destructive lifestyle of alcoholism, he founded something called the Yale Hope Mission. One of his friends wrote that he, quote, might be often found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, or in some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. After graduation in the class of 1909, Borden declined numerous high-paying job offers because of this growing sense of a call to mission that was now specifically focused on Muslims in China. At that time, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No retreats. Borden went on to Princeton Seminary, and then after that, set sail for China. Now, he stopped in Egypt on the way for some Arabic studies, but while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within one month's time, the 25-year-old Borden was dead. I mean, just think about that. I'm 27, and at 25, his life was over. You know, was Borden's untimely death a waste? No, not in God's plan. Just prior to his death, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath no reserves and no retreats, he wrote the words, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. Pretty good motto, pretty good words to live by. I wonder this morning if we were to uh, write an inspiring quote in the covers or the back, back cover of our Bibles, one that would serve as our true north, our guiding principle, what would it be? What would you write? What would I write? 
It's been a long-time tradition of many Christians to write an inspiring quote in the front or the back of their Bible. It's a tradition that's likely to fade uh, as we make the move from leather-bound books to more digitally uh, accessible Bibles. Some have been known to write the words of another famous missionary, a martyr by the name of Jim Elliot. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What can we not keep? Well, our lives. What can we not lose? Well, our salvation, if we've made Jesus our forgiver and leader. Another common quote found in the cover of many Bibles is a saying that's accredited to D.L. Moody. He writes, This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. It's one or the other. These lines and so many more like them bring great inspiration. Now today, I've been tasked with wrapping up our series on discernment. It's the second part of a message that Dennis started last week. Both weeks are about discernment and the Bible. Last Sunday, we addressed the need for us to approach the Bible with discernment. Today, we'll look at the way that the, that the Bible actually grows discernment inside of us. We need to approach reading the Bible with discernment, and as we do, the Bible grows discernment inside of us. We're going to look at two areas that the Bible can help grow our discernment. Let's go back to the D.L. Moody quote again. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Let's zero in on that first part. This book, God's Word, will keep you from sin. The Bible grows our discernment by instilling in us an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Without the Bible, we would really be relatively ignorant of God's moral desires. But as we immerse ourselves in the truths of the Bible, the Spirit uses what we are ingesting to recalibrate our broken moral compass. This book will keep you from sin. King Solomon opens the book of Proverbs with these words. He writes, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help us understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Solomon speaks with eloquence of the truth that we've already stated. As we immerse ourselves in the truths of the book, the Spirit uses what we are ingesting to recalibrate our broken moral compass. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. 
Now, for those of our students that are going through high school right now, they know they have to go through a series of various science classes, biology, chemistry, physics, and varying orders. In the, in the field of chemistry, there is a process called osmosis, which is defined as the process by which molecules of a solvent tend to pass through a semi-permeable membrane from a less concentrated solution to a more concentrated one, thus equalizing the concentrations on either side of the membrane. What? Now, I know, I know, I know, it's Sunday, school's out for the week, various snow days have already been enjoyed, but that word, osmosis, is actually used to describe the way we absorb truth. It's the process of gradual or unconscious assimilation of ideas in knowledge, the way that we allow God's Word to transform us and our minds. In some ways, Solomon is describing a spiritual process of osmosis. As we saturate, saturate our minds with the book, the truth starts to seep in. There is a gradual process of conscious, unconscious, and subconscious assimilation of truth. Now, Solomon has a word for people who resist that process. He calls them fools. He says they're foolish. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Right? Fear of the Lord is where it all begins. To resist that, not wise. However, later in the book, Solomon actually puts someone beneath the fool, if you can believe that. He writes, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? They've got it all figured out. They know it all. There is more hope for who? For a fool than for them. You see, the only thing worse than the fool who resists learning the truth is the person who thinks they are wise apart from the wisdom of God. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. There is no discernment without starting with the fear of the Lord. The Bible grows our discernment by teaching us the basics of right and wrong. And so what do we do? What's our role in this? Our role is to take it in. We read it. We listen to it. We soak it in so that it will saturate our souls. Look with me for a moment at Proverbs chapter 6. It says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, and feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. This passage provides a clear example of the way that God uses his word to grow discernment inside of us. You may have heard of the seven deadly sins, pride, anger, envy, impurity, gluttony, slothfulness, and avarice. In Proverbs 6, we're given a list that may be considered the Old Testament list or the Israelite uh, version of these seven deadly sins. This passage is arranged for easy memorization. The first five things that the Lord hates are associated with body parts set in a sequence that moves from north to south, from head to feet, eyes, tongue, hands, heart, feet, 
And the last two are specific types of persons, the false witness and the troublemaker. What does God hate? Haughty eyes, prideful eyes, a lying tongue, dishonest, untruthfulness, hands that shed innocent blood, violence, murder, using our hands for for wrong things, a heart that devises wicked schemes. It's conspiracy. Feet that are quick to rush into evil, not slow, but, but conniving. A false witness who pours out lies, that's gossip, that's slander. Or a person who stirs up conflict in community, breaking the unity that the community should have. The list is set up to be memorable. Imagine, imagine, if we were to spend a few minutes a day for the next week going over these verses and just asking, pointing to the body parts as we go, is there something in the way, in my eyes? Do I have haughty eyes right now? Do I have a prideful spirit? Am I being dishonest with the way that I speak? Am I using hands in a, my hands in a violent fashion? Might we grow a little bit in discernment if we adopted this practice? I think we would. Now, Let's take a look at the next handful of verses. It goes on to say, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life keeping you from your neighbor's wife from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Solomon moves from a list of seven don'ts to a winsome invitation to walk wisely in virtue. He implores his son, keep my commands, hold on to them, don't forsake them, bind them to your heart, staple them to your neck, hold on to these, and as you do, as you do, Osmosis. What does he say? When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. He refers to his teaching as a lamp, a light, a guidepost. I hope that we embrace Solomon's teaching as we immerse ourselves in the truths of this book. The Spirit uses what we are ingesting to, to fix, to recalibrate, to correct our broken moral compass. The book will keep you from sin. And what other ways does the Bible grow my discernment? Well, it, it not only teaches us what is right and what is wrong, it shows us the nature of evil, how it actually works. For many of us, it's not enough to just know what something is. We want to know how it works, how it functions, how it's put together. Thus far, we've spent the morning in the book of Proverbs. Let's let's stay there for a little bit. When most people think of the book of Proverbs, they think of a list of pithy sayings, catchy catchy phrases. Two-thirds of the book is made up of these two-line snappy statements. However... The first nine chapters are actually a conversation. You have a dad 
who's got many miles on his shoes, who is giving his son, who's just starting out in his life's journey, a map, a way to go. And the map marks out the good ground and the treacherous territory. It points out the smooth steps in the potholes where one might stumble and fall and collapse. The first nine chapters aren't, aren't just made up of a list of do's and don'ts. Like we say, like in chapter 6, they're also composed of this fatherly wisdom. Letting the inexperienced son know the way that life works. Now Solomon has a lot to say about the slippery slope of sin. He knows this path all too well from personal experience. He knows that sin is not like the boogeyman hiding in your closet, waiting to jump out and grab you by the throat and strangle you to death. That's not how it works. No. He knows that sin is often far more subtle, far more crafty, far more smooth. All of chapter 7 describes the slow, enticing, strangulation process of sin. And as we read part of this chapter, I want to encourage you to not only read it from the perspective of, well, the guy in the story, you know, he's, he's got to watch out. This is the process of the way that temptation works that Solomon is revealing to his readers, to us this morning. The passage starts out like this. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple... I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. This is a non-discerning person. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. So we have a simple guy wandering the street at nightfall. Verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. And if you're listening to this with Hebrew ears, you're thinking, dude, eyes straight ahead, move faster. You need to walk faster. It's time to go. We won't read every detail, but catch this. Listen to what what she says. She sees him and she says, so I came out to meet you. I have looked for you and found you. She gives him a list of reasons to come home with her. Fresh seats on the bed, perfume pillows, husband is gone. Come in. What comes next? Well, the moment of truth. With persuasive words, she led him astray. Temptation. So she seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. When Solomon describes you as a slab of meat headed for the market, that is not good. That is not good. Little knowing it will cost him his life. He sums up by saying, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. What an apt description of what temptation looks like. You see, the Bible not only teaches us to discern right from wrong, 
It teaches us the way evil works. Words like astray, smooth, noose, snare, turn, stray, these words all describe a slow, long process of small, seemingly inconsequential compromises. And in time, compromise after compromise compounds. The heart hardens. The conscience sears. Little knowing it will cost him his life. It reminds me of the words of David in Psalm 1. Literally the first words in the book of Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Walking, standing, sitting. It's a progression. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a slow, subtle compounding of compromises. Little knowing it will cost him his life. It reminds me of the words spoken of Lot when Abram and Lot separate early in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 13, it says, So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. That's chapter 13. By chapter 19, Lot is no longer in a tent near, close by the city of Sodom. He's there. He's in it. He's a resident who loves to take up residence at the city gate. He's a part of that now. A slow, subtle compounding of compromises, little knowing it will cost him his life. We see it again and again in Scripture. David stays home from war, takes a late night walk on the roof, sees a woman bathing, looks once, looks again, lingers, little knowing it will cost him his life. The Bible not only teaches us right from wrong, it shows us the way that evil works. Do you recognize the pattern? Can you see the pattern in Scripture? Can you see the pattern in your own life? The ability to see the pattern and to recognize it is growth in discernment. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I want to use the balance of our time this morning to talk about getting into the book. By us getting, getting into it. Dennis made three statements at the beginning of the series and mentioned them again last week. One, we cannot grow deeply in spiritual discernment if we do not take in this book. Why? Why is that true? It's true because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It has to start with Him. Two, we cannot grow deeply in spiritual discernment if we do not buy into this book. If we don't buy into what it says. And three, we cannot grow deeply in spiritual discernment if we deny the authority of this book. Why? Because, yes, the book was written by human hands who were carried along by the Spirit of God to convey a message to us. The book, the Bible, is our catechism. It is our teacher. And as it informs us, as the information goes from the pages of the book into our eyes or ears and minds, 
It not only informs us, it forms us. It transforms us. It changes us. The starting point of discernment is Scripture. We need to read it, study it, dwell on it, chew on it, meditate on it, reflect on it, obey it, and live it. So let's start with a question. Apart from our time together in this room on Sunday, how are you, how am I, getting into this book so that the book can get into us? Do you have a systematic approach for taking in the Bible? There's truly no shortage of tools for Bible intake. We talk a lot about the Bible app. It has countless reading programs. There are paper Bibles divided into reading plans like the one-year Bible, the one-year New Testament, the one-year Old Testament. In the past, we've talked about taking one chapter of Proverbs per day. There are 31 chapters in the book. Read the one that corresponds with the day of the month. Miss a day? So what? Move on. Stay with it. Stick with it. There are so many plans that some of us get frozen. Looking for the perfect plan. A good plan today is better than a perfect plan next week. A good plan today is better than a perfect plan next week. Why? Because next week may never come. Or next week turns into next month, turns into next year. A good plan today is better than a perfect plan next week. Sometimes it's helpful to read with someone. I've done this in the past. Met with a person who was reading the same thing that I was reading and we would meet to talk. Another form of Bible intake that's making a comeback is listening to the Bible. Up until the 19th century, hearing was the primary way that Christians took in Scripture. Since then, reading has really dominated Christians' experience with the Bible. But is it possible that we've lost something over time by not listening? We experience Scripture in a different way when we hear it versus when we read it. Our default tendency when we read the Bible is we want to break it down. We want to look for connections. We want to get something out of it versus when we listen, we're not trying to get something out of it. Instead, we're trying to get into it, into what it's saying. Why not try listening? The Bible app offers audio Bibles, many different versions, or read aloud with a spouse or a family member or a friend. But know this, whatever you choose, we cannot get anything out of the Bible if we are not into the Bible. One other thing to consider, we've mentioned that we have CDs available at the welcome desk called Scripture Lullabies. Don't let the title fool you. It's not tunes for tots. A lull is an interval of quiet. These songs are straight scripture meant to create a lull, an interval of quiet in an otherwise busy and noisy life. Dennis described them as a soaker hose for your soul. Not the gush of a fire hydrant, but the gentle drip, drip, drip. You might try a CD or listening to Scripture or reviving a reading plan. Whatever you choose, let Scripture begin its gentle drip into your soul. In time, osmosis. As we saturate our minds with the truth in the book, it starts to seep in. Discernment deepens. The ability to distinguish right and wrong grows 
the ability to recognize the seductive invitation of evil increases. So let it soak in. Let it soak in. In doing so, in time, we will be able to claim, along with the Apostle Paul, we have the mind of Christ. That's discernment. That's the goal. Let's talk to our Father. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for creating us the way that you have, with a mind, with a soul, with a spirit. And we know that you don't want us to be ignorant of your character, of who you are, and of the ways that you want us to live our lives. We pray that your spirit would move freely in our lives, in our minds, as we take in your word, that it would instruct us and teach us and show us how to be people that live discerning lives that please you and honor you with the things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. You all join me in thanking John this morning. (laughs) Uh, Again, right call, not using youth pastor this morning. That was excellent. Uh, Our servers are going to come receive the morning offering as they do. Uh, We're going to go through your announcements. So again, if you are on the Southfield email list, you can pull out your phones, follow along with us. If you're not, make sure to either get signed up through the website or you can go to the welcome desk and get signed up so that uh, you can stay up to date with all of the current Southfield stuff. First thing, you'll notice that there are decorations around the room. And no, uh, my sister's birthday is Tuesday, and these are not decorations for her. These are the residual uh, effects of our, uh, our women's conference that happened yesterday, Victorious. And from what I could tell, it was really cool. It was awesome. Uh, I had a lot of fun collecting garbage and handing out ice cold water and hot coffee and doing all that. That was a great time. <clears throat> and again, we appreciate everybody that helped out with that, both from uh, the women's leadership side and, and the guys who who showed up to serve. Uh, it, was, it was a great day. We want to know how the retreat impacted you, though. So if you came to the retreat, or, uh, or if you know somebody who did, make sure that they get a hold of this link, the first link on the email. Uh, we want to know just what you thought, how it impacted you, and, and how you, you thought the day went. Because again, we continually want to make sure that we are having a positive impact and, and making sure that everything uh, goes well. So please, if you would take advantage of that, it would be great. Uh, second thing, if you want to follow up on our women's conference, there is a journey group that's going to be meeting starting next Monday for the following six Mondays here at Southfield from 7 to 8.30. That's going to continue to dive into how, how to live victoriously. So it's going to continue the message of that women's conference. So if you are a woman looking for just that, that deeper look into what yesterday was all about, please go to the website today, southfieldchurch.com. Uh, go to Journey Groups and get registered for that. Again, it starts next Monday. goes for six Mondays, 7 to 8.30 here at Southfield. Uh, if you have a prayer request, you can let us know in several ways. One, uh, you can write it on a card, throw it, uh, throw it in the offering. Every service, or after every service, uh, we ha- always have somebody up here willing to, to share in prayer with you. So if, you're, some, if you walk in here just overburdened and you need to get some off your chest through prayer with somebody else. We always have somebody up here uh, after the service. You can take advantage of that. In the noise break, before you get out into the, the main foyer there, uh, we also have a little spot for cards that you can take a card, write your prayer request on it, and hang it on the lattice. I learned that word last, uh, last service. Uh, I kept calling it a, a ladder or a lettuce. No, it's lattice. <laughs> you can, if, you, if you don't want to um, 
spend time in prayer up here, you can use that absolutely because we have people that continually come through and, and take those off uh, and, and pray for those. Also, you can do it through the website. So again, uh, we want to be here to support you. Uh, so please share your, your prayer requests with us. Finally, uh, students. Yeah, exciting stuff, right? We have um, a big week ahead for our students. On Wednesday night at Refuge, we're having a Nerf war. Yeah, uh, massacre. We're not calling it that. It's just what popped into my head, and I need to stop doing this whole stream of consciousness thing. Uh, okay, we're just going to have a casual, nice, fun time with Nerf guns on Wednesday night at Refuge. So if you have a junior high student, we're not going to kill him. Just ha- <laughs> oh man, I'm, <laughs> I'm fired. <clears throat> Again, thanks John for preaching this morning. We're going to have some fun with Nerf guns on Wednesday night, so they're not lying. Have, uh, get, them, get them a Nerf gun. We're going to have some extras. We are, we are asking that all the kids mark their, uh, their bullet or their ball or their disc or whatever they are going to be shooting in a unique way so that they can find them all. I have let them know, though, if they show up with 20 and at the end of the day they're, they're upset because they only have 19, I bought 400 extra. So, you know, on the way out, if you lose one, We'll got you covered, all right? Uh, but please mark them so that, so that, they know you're, that we know you're there. They're yours. On Friday, we're going to Feed My Starving Children with both Refuge and Revive, so our junior hires and high schoolers. Uh, we have 15 spots left at, as of the middle of uh, the services here this morning. So if you're a student who intends on going, please, please, please get registered. If you are an adult, either of a student who's already going or just you're a Southfielder who thinks that this sounds cool, we still, we're going to need a few extra drivers uh, because a few of our leaders can't go. So if you would, after the service, I'll be up here at the table. If that, if that sounds like something that would interest you, just driving up to Aurora, spending time packing food with us, and then driving home, um, we would really appreciate it. So you can meet me up here. Uh, I'll get your contact information right after the service. And finally, next Sunday, we are, I, again, I love snow for snowboarding. But uh, I need to break this cycle. We need some sunshine. So next Sunday night, Revive is having a luau. So high schoolers, go to Goodwill or TJ Maxx or wherever they sell Hawaiian shirts, Amazon, and get your Hawaiian stuff because we're going to have a big, uh, great time next, next Sunday night. If you would, please stand with me as we leave this morning. And I'll, I'll pray as we leave. God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the ability to be discerning. I pray for all of Southfield uh, this morning, that, that we would, again, in, in encountering you and engaging in your word, start to pick out the areas in our life where we've ignored the Holy Spirit's nudge, where we have uh, become calloused and become uh, unaffected by, uh, by our sin. Help us to, to be awakened this morning and to, uh, to again, begin growing more deeply in discernment uh, so that we can grow more closely with you. And we pray for this week, uh, safety on the roads and, and all that, God. And we, we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of